You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io Dave for a seven-day free trial. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Hey everyone, it's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio, the number one ranked health podcast on iTunes. And today's cool fact of the day is that the Bulletproof Diet, my newly launching book, hit number 15 of all books on Amazon four months before being released. And now that it's the week of the release, I'm really, really excited and grateful for the the volume, just for people buying the book and sharing it with their friends. I, I put a lot of heart and soul into it, so thank you for taking your time to check it out, and thanks for listening to the show today. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's guest is a guy I've, at least a guy whose work I've known for substantially more than a decade, one of the original brain hacker, biohacker guys who has been working on hacking the brain uh, probably as long as I've been alive or maybe something close to that. <laughs> and it's none other than Bill Harris from the Centerpoint Research Institute. Bill, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here, Dave. Uh, uh, when you're 95 years old, like I like I am, it's, or at least like you're implying that I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's good to be anywhere. 
I, are you calling me old, Bill? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think I'm that much old. <laughs> You're not. Um, I've just given you a hard time there. But, Bill, you've been working on hacking the brain for about 30 years, right? Yeah. I, you know, it was. we didn't call it hacking the brain. I've just, uh, like you, been interested in how to improve you know, my thinking abilities, my motivation, my peace of mind, et cetera, et cetera, my health and and all of those things. And then some of my younger employees started telling me about biohacking and your name came up. And I think that this one young woman that works for me, babe, knew Zach, who works for you. And so when you were in Portland visiting him, we, we got together. And spent a couple hours sitting in my office realizing that we were doing a lot of the same stuff. I, I wish I'd had a video recorder then because we had the coolest conversations about how the brain works. And, and one of the things that really stood out to me was that you you opened a filing cabinet and you pulled out this kind of ridiculous EEG, almost like a lie detector printout, uh, showing me your brain waves. And I mean, you are you have some pretty strong brain waves there. Like it's obvious that your technology has done something for you. And I've looked at enough uh, EEG spectrograms to, to know that that there's to, to know that some of the differences there. Although I'm not a trained neurofeedback expert, I I was pretty blown away. And your work is very influential in the how sounds influence the brain kind of kind of state. Back in about 1996, 97, I read my first first info about this and said, this is great. I'll do it myself. So I got a video game uh, sound editor, a thing they used to make sound effects, like Atari and Pong level sound effects, to be honest. Uh, this was a while ago. And I, and I made my own like primitive binaural beats. And they certainly did something. Uh, but I realized that there's definitely an art and a, a science to this. So I was, uh, I was pretty excited when I heard about CenterPoint. And I became a, a lifetime member um, of your program which is uh, not a, a small commitment. And so I've been a member for a long time, and that means that I get custom-made audio, and I've, I, I don't listen every night, but for quite a while there, every night I would listen when I was going to sleep. And I, I, I know that your technology works because I've used it. And so I, I was honored to get a chance to meet you and chat with you. Well, you know, we weren't the very first people to use this kind of technology commercially, but we were one of the first, and we're really we're really the ones that made this particular space. I mean, there's all the, I have all these knockoff uh, uh, pretenders who are, you know, making binaural beat kind of uh, soundtracks. What they kind of lack though, is that there's, there, it's more than an art really. I mean, there's, a, there's an infinite number of variations on how you could use this kind of technology. And it took me quite a long time, just like you've done a lot of research on you know, coffee and other supplements and everything. I did the same thing for many years. And then we have a big, uh, a big laboratory of, at this point, about 2 million people who have given us feedback. And then I'm a certified trainer of NLP. I've been meditating literally for 45 years I'm a Zen monk. I and on and on all the. I, I I know what happens when you stimulate the brain in this way. I know what people go through. I know how to guide them through it. I know exactly how to do this. Use this kind of technology to get the 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 greatest results. And most of the rest of these people are 
kind of doing like you were. They're they're saying, oh, this is be simple to do it. And I often use the uh, uh, the metaphor of it, it was like it would be like I'm the best pastry chef in the world. Although I don't eat pastries, so maybe I should pick a different metaphor. Every time I say this, but because I'm eating, you know, something very similar to your bulletproof diet. Uh, but I'm the I'm the greatest pastry chef in the world, and somebody else goes out and buys the joy of cooking, and makes some pastries, and then goes online and says my pastries are just as good as Bill Harris's, because they have the same they have flour and they have sugar and they have eggs and they have this and it's the same thing, but of course it isn't the same thing, because the best pastry chef in the world knows one hell of a lot more about making delicious pastries than somebody that just read a recipe out of a out of a book so anyway i mean we don't need to make this about about me and my puny little competitors but uh you know it's you know what they say uh, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery and you know the same thing i i there have been times when i've i've written a, a post with new information within five minutes there are people who copy the post edit a few words and magic goes out there but end of the day it's good that people are paying attention to how they can how they can control their brain and that realizing that they have the ability to use a, a whole bunch of different technologies to improve who they are and, and how they perform it's that way with food you can go you can buy a hot dog on those little roller things at 7-eleven it's better than starving. It, it barely. <laughs> it's it's a little bit better than starving. Yeah, you can also get a grass-fed, uh, you know, perfectly seasoned sausage made by the top sausage maker uh, in the country and cooked perfectly. Well, they're still both sausage. They both kept you from starving. One of them was more expensive than the other. One of them was quantifiably and qualitatively better. And there's a whole spectrum of hot dogs. <laughs> between the sort of wrinkled, rolly one and the most gourmet thing on earth. And where you end up there is over time, as you start becoming an expert here in sausage, you end up saying, well, that one was a lot better than that one. Maybe I should go up there. And, and my own path as a biohacker has oftentimes been, all right, like I'm going to do something. And, oh, something in that direction worked. What's the apex? Like, who's the best in the world? How can I talk to that guy? And here, I would say, without a lot of reservation, that when it comes to using sounds to manipulate brain states, it doesn't get more best in the world or more experienced than you. And it's not a small thing to say, but you're one of the world's leading experts on this. I totally agree. And I've been doing this for 29 years now and uh, definitely have more experience and more feedback and all that sort of thing. But really, you you don't think that those those 7-Eleven hot dogs are cooked correctly then? Yeah, they're, they're too rare. <laughs> they could be more wrinkled. <laughs> so at, at, at any rate, you know, the reason that I bring this up is that most of the stuff out there that is brain entrainment is really garbage. Uh, and people get it and they think, wow, I saved money because it costs less. And they use it for a week or two at most. And then they put it aside and they don't do anything. We have people use Holosync for 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. And if they get to the end of the program, they start saying, oh, no, what am I going to do uh, when I've finished all the levels of this? Okay. So I've never regretted getting the best of anything. And I've often regretted uh, getting something that was a knockoff or a cheap version or whatever. 
there's a thing that happens uh, when when you're trying to get a lot done. Uh, you only have so much time and so much energy, and and you know people are, are going to, to come in at wherever they wherever they can, and they'll improve. And and what I work to do in my own life, and especially with Bulletproof Radio, is to help people understand cost benefit trade offs and where they can go, so that you don't have to make a bunch of mistakes along the way. But help. Actually, let me tell you a story about my own experience, and I won't with using your stuff. And then I'd like you to tell me whether that's normal and then walk people listening through how it works. Like, like what can you do with the center point technology? Sure. So the first thing I, I sort of experienced with it is, you know, there's some, some relaxing sounds. You, you sort of just drift off. I, I would tend to drift off. I misused your software because I would use it at bedtime and you recommend sitting up and sort of doing it when you're not going to fall asleep. But I, I found that I was still getting some benefit and I was compressing my time. So I'd use it around bedtime and sometimes I'd stay awake for a while. Sometimes I'd, you know, make it three quarters of the way through and I'd, I'd go to sleep. But it, it feels like, like it's helping you to unprogram those unconscious like fight or flight responses during the day. Uh, but it does it really slowly and gently. Uh, what was my perception of it? I, I've done some really aggressive self-development. Self -development. The, the 40 years of Zen kind of thing that I do is, is you know, P90X for your for your brain, not affiliated with P90X. I don't want to misuse that. But like that level of like super high intensity, you know, like a, a super marathon or something. But what yours was doing, it felt like a, kind of just a very natural, like a, an unwrapping of that stuff so that you just kind of gently let it go. When I would play it for both Lana and I, she could tell like it was like a little bit of like emotional weirdness sometimes like you just feel a little bit cranky after you listen to it like like it was helping you to see more what was going on in your nervous system is that a typical explanation or are we just weird people well i think both statements are true. <laughs> thanks bill in your case but I, I don't you said so much there that i that i mean as so many cans of worms you opened let me see if i can if i can first of all when you know when you're listening to this there's a lot of things i could say about what's happening but first of all you're changing the electrical patterns in your brain and there's a lot of things that happen when you do that uh, there are there are many beneficial states that are associated with alpha brain waves, theta brain waves, delta brain waves. And when we take you through that spectrum every day, essentially what happens is more neural real estate gets turned over, first of all, to the ability to go into those brain wave patterns. Most people are, are reasonably good at making delta while they're asleep and a beta while they're awake and maybe a little smidgen of alpha here and there but most people can't can't make theta and uh, and alpha particularly while they're awake and those two brainwave patterns are kind of the connector between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind and that's one of the reasons why people are so darned unconscious in their behavior and all that sort of thing so first of all we're just training people to have access to this whole spectrum which means that if you need to be creative, you naturally and automatically can access a theta state, which is, among many other things, the source of an aha experience where you where you put something together in a new way and suddenly go, oh, I get it. You know, it's where you where you actually learn something. You have a, an insight and, and so on. So that's one thing that's happening. Another thing that's happening is that the parasympathetic nervous system, the source of rest and relaxation and that sort of thing, is being enhanced. And the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight 
side of the uh, the nervous system is being slowed down. I, I just made a video, for instance, about flow states. In doing a little bit of research, I, I, uh, one of the things I found out is that is that when people, in order to go into a flow state, you have to calm a part of the brain, the the posterior cingulate cortex, which is the source of what brain scientists call the the default state, yep. which is the non-focused state, which many of the the biohacker types think that they should permanently have that turned off so they they can be hyper-focused all the time. However, you have to go into that state to recharge so that you can, so it's sort of, you know, these are like people that want to be on methadrine all the time, so they'll be hyper-focused. There's a a price to pay for for that. But at any rate, it turns out that that Holosync, when you listen to it, it really, and so does traditional meditation. It says Holosync does it faster and more easily and more effortlessly. It turns down the posterior cingulate cortex and it enhances the other part of the brain that when it's enhanced, you can easily go into a flow state and that is the, the prefrontal cortex. So I, I'm actually working on a book right now called Mastering Self-Regulation. And it's really all about it's really all about the prefrontal cortex, enhancing that and turning down the parts of the brain that get in the way of self-regulation. The uh, you know the amygdala, for instance, uh, when somebody uh, cuts you off in traffic and you feel like you know taking the gun out of the the glove compartment and shooting them across the lanes of traffic, your prefrontal cortex hopefully steps in and says. Long-term consequences not really that good for that action, and you. But it turns out that um, the prefrontal cortex enhancement, which is one of the main things that meditation and holosync on steroids does, has to do with willpower. It has to do with peace of mind, uh, lowering stress, improving health, motivation, achievement, better relationships. Uh, getting into a flow state, uh, healing emotional trauma, on and on and on and on. There's all of this stuff is, there's sort of this axis uh, between the amygdala, which is fires off when the saber-toothed tiger is chasing you, which hasn't happened to me for a long time. So it's, you know, occasionally somebody says something to me and I react as if a saber-toothed tiger was after me, but pretty soon my prefrontal cortex steps in and and uh, tells me, you know, not not a good idea. So at any rate, that's another way to look at this: is it's enhancing the the uh, parasympathetic nervous system and the prefrontal cortex. It's calming the amygdala. It's calming the uh, the the cortex. And there's you know no test on all these terms later in case this gets a little geeky sounding. The other th- the thing I've been saying for a long time is that meditation in general and holosync on, in spades creates awareness. And awareness creates choice. Now, another way to say that would be the meditation and holosync enhances the prefrontal cortex, giving you the ability to self-regulate, which is really what I mean when I talk about uh, awareness. So... Now, as to having funky emotions come up, like you you mentioned, you know, everybody wants to be more aware, but 
they don't stop to think what that really means. I mean, there is a brain signature, which I've alluded to, but also people want to be aware of the oneness that people talk about when they meditate and they want to be aware in a mental ability way and that sort of thing. But also what you become aware of is all the crap you have repressed in everybody's family. There are things that are not okay to exhibit, not, you know, different emotions that you're not supposed to express, different qualities like in some families it might not be okay to be the center of attention. Luckily in my family it was okay to be the center of attention and I love being the center of attention. But, you know, some people, uh, they have to give a, a talk at work and they freak out because it's not okay to be the center. They don't know why they're freaking out. But it you know, has to do with all the stuff that's repressed. And, of course, everybody is taught to repress selfishness and anger and stuff like that. At any rate, you, be, you start to become aware of all this stuff that you have semi-successfully pushed out of your awareness. Re- really what happens when you repress this stuff, it comes out anyway, but just in a very uh, dysfunctional and immature way. And everybody can see that you, for instance, I don't mean you personally, but that you are selfish or angry or whatever, but you don't think you're angry you, because you've repressed it. You're, you've pushed it out of your awareness. So anyway, all this, this kind of stuff, which is really what is standing in your way of feeling peaceful, happy, from, you know, from being like the, the, those monks up in the Himalayas and so on, where they, where they just have all this equanimity and, and peacefulness, calm, compassion, all that. This is the stuff that's standing in the way of that. So what happens is that comes into awareness sometimes, and some people have more of it than others, of course. But the real key is that some people, I was one of these people, uh, their whole mode of dealing with life is to resist the things they don't like. So as soon as that stuff comes up, people go, oh, I don't like this. I want this to stop. I, don't, I hate this. And they go into this resistant mode and they feel all this discomfort, which they think is that stuff coming up. But it's really what they're feeling is their own resistance. So one of the things we're trying to teach people while they're doing this is let whatever happens be okay. Watch it with awareness uh, and curiosity saying, hmm, interesting. I'm feeling this really intense feeling in my stomach and I feel like smacking that guy. But you're sort of stepping back from it and, and just noticing it rather than getting into this whole resistant thing or an expression thing of doing something that you'll later regret. So that's what was going on there. I mean, I could vamp on this forever, but... So, so what, what you just described there, uh, the idea of feeling your own resistance, is, is terribly important. And, and I see this in, in actually my five- and seven-year-olds a lot. And, and they'll say, that is annoying. And I'll say, actually, that's not what's happening here. What's happening is you are feeling annoying, and you don't like that thing. And there's a fundamental difference between labeling something else as being the cause and labeling your reaction to the something else as being the cause. Absolutely. I mean, what I have a, a course that takes six months to go through that goes into all the internal cognitive processes that people do that that create how they feel, how they behave, which people in situations they unconsciously, for the most part, uh, attract or become attracted to, and what meanings they assign to things. 
And what one of the things that I say to people is there's a trigger. Something happens. You have uh, some sort of sensory experience, which could be also having a thought, but usually that's triggered by something. There's the trigger. And then what what people think is that there's a trigger and then I feel X. But actually, there's a step in between. There's a trigger. You make certain internal representations inside your head, which are designed to be happening outside your awareness, actually. Yeah. I mean, if they weren't, you'd go nuts with the volume of shit going on in your head. But that is what creates uh, good feelings, bad feelings, whatever. So this whole system works really great as long as you survive childhood without any trauma. And by trauma, I mean something happens in life that causes you to say, you know, that is a potential danger to me. Now, the percentage of people who survive childhood without that happening is zero. <laughs> because we're, we're living in a world where you can't get everything you want all the time. And there's plenty of disappointments, plenty of chances for loss. And there's a whole big thing I could do about that, but we don't have time for that. It's, so, it's, it's, it's important, people who are listening, imagine you're two and you wanted the French fry and, and you didn't get the French fry. Your nervous system may have just been so pissed off about that, that it created a sense of loss, that created a little trauma that, that made you react in a tiny way. It doesn't have to be that big of a thing for you to just get some labeling that says this is when you're little and helpless and dependent, something that, that, you know, I mean, if I didn't give you a French fry, I, I, I wouldn't give you poison like a French fry, but, yes. but, uh, I don't know why you picked that, <laughs> but if I didn't give you something you wanted like that, some little item like that, you, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal to you. But to a little kid, it can be traumatic. If you come home from school and you're six and you have something you spent quite a while drawing at school and you want to show your mother and she's upset because she just realized that there's a big bill due and she doesn't have enough money to cover it. And so she's worrying. And so she sort of, you know, doesn't pay attention to you. That you know, she doesn't even notice that because an adult that happened would be understanding of that usually. But the child might go, God, mom doesn't think that I can draw. She doesn't like me. She doesn't care about what I do. And that, that is a trauma. And any kind of a loss could be. A, but at any rate, when we have these traumas, what happens is we say, oh, that is a potential danger to me. And to then avoid it, we make internal representations of the danger with the idea of avoiding it. The problem is that anything you focus on, especially repeatedly, your brain takes as a goal, and it does two things with it. First of all, it creates a bad feeling, which is a survival thing, To So you're alerted that when that thing comes along, it's a danger. And it also causes your brain to say, okay, we can figure out how to attract or create more of this. So you end up uh, then attracting more of what you don't want, and it becomes obviously a vicious, vicious circle where you just keep, keep doing that. So what happens when you become more aware, every time something tr reminds you unconsciously of that trauma, same bad feelings, and they're, they're usually the bad feelings of a powerless little child, powerless and dependent child. So they're out of proportion 
to what's really happening now. They're just an echo of what happened back then. Well, when people use Holosync or meditate for 30 years, they begin to see how they do that. They begin to see how there's no danger in the present. I am taking something from the past and I am doing it now. And that awareness of that process, seeing themselves create that bad feeling as they do it, makes it into a choice. Awareness creates choice and then people automatically choose to drop it, to not do it. And so people have remarkable changes in emotional health from, from, from doing this and remarkable increases in, in uh, equanimity and that sort of a thing. Uh, you could look at it from a more neurophysiological point of view, too, and say, well, that person's parasympathetic nervous system was enhanced. The, the sympathetic nervous system was turned down so that they don't feel that reactiveness. So you could, you know, you can explain this in different ways, but it's all kind of the same thing. Your brain changes turns more neural real estate over to being happy, being calm, being peaceful, being focused, being creative, etc., and turns down the part of the brain that's going to be reactive and angry and and uh, resistant and repressing stuff and and all of that. And we've got a hell of a lot of people who have done this to uh, shore up our our wild claims. So a lot of people who are hearing this we we do sound kind of like therapists or people have oh, childhood trauma. Like, look, you know, I'm 30 years old and at the top of my game, I'm, I'm physically ripped, but, but here's the deal. I didn't know any of this stuff when I was, uh, oh, say 30, I'm 42. Now I've spent the last 12 years and actually maybe even 15 digging in on this stuff, realizing you can hack the physical body, but when you get your hardware working, it's easier to do the work on the software. But we're, we're talking about software programming here, not getting yourself healthy. Although when you fix the software, the hardware tends to run better. And, and well, just, when, you, when you turn down the, uh, the sympathetic nervous system and you have less stress, there's less uh, inflammation in your body. There's, you know, there's all, less of dangerous neurochemicals and dangerous hormones being created. And, and so actually one of the things I see when I see somebody that's using Holosync, like at a, a live event, and then I see them again a year later, they, you know, the, the amount of glow in their face and the ease that they have and this perception that they're even more comfortable in their own skin, all of those things are really palpably obvious. So it does affect health, too. But uh, we, you know, anyway, didn't mean to interrupt. We're back back to the software part. I uh, know that, that was a great interruption because uh, if you're listening to this and it just sounds like, what the heck, here's the thing your body is not rational. It doesn't have a brain to think. It's a nervous system. It's reactionary. I didn't get this. And I had no clue at the depths of my powers of self-deception. And when you use a technology like this, when you use some of the other complementary things like meditation, breathing exercises, vipassana, neurofeedback, uh, heart rate variability, anything that increases awareness of what's going on in your body, you're going to start running into these things. And one response is to say, it, it's all, it, it doesn't matter, I'm going to ignore the signal. And I, I don't think you'll reach a state of high performance that way. You'll continuously get in your own way. You won't know why. And it's like, crap, just doesn't work. But when you when you start peeling off these layers and looking at it, you realize that your your capacity for performance is there. I would not know how to do what I do today with the Bulletproof Executive 
if I hadn't have gone through and, and identified every one of those things that made my my nervous system make a rule that was not in my interest, some sort of survival reflex that, that wasn't about a threat, but my body thought it was. I've gone through, I've spent seven weeks with just with electrodes stuck to my head, several years listening to your technology, uh, five years in yoga, uh, doing daily breathing exercises, all that kind of stuff with the idea of going back, finding every little thing and then reprogramming it so that I could control the way my nervous system responded. And as I did it, everything I did became easier and easier. There's less and less effort involved. So part of performing well is not wasting your willpower doing stuff because you're forcing yourself to overcome what your body is trying to prevent you from doing. It's resetting the body so that it'll stop resisting stuff that isn't a threat. Well, and, and you also alluded to, to our capacity to self-delude. Uh, one of the things that, I mean, you, you sort of just said this in your, from your own perspective. I didn't realize how stressed I was and how much I was not aware of and how much I was missing until I gained enough awareness to see the difference. And because I always thought that I was totally aware. You know, I just I was reading a book just the other day and it was talking about some studies on self-delusion. They were talking in a different context, but people universally, I forget what the statistic is, but when they they had people rate themselves on a whole bunch of uh, qualities and then they had other people that knew them rate them. A hundred percent of the people rated themselves way higher than other people rated them. And the people that realistically rated them themselves were people who were chronically depressed. They rated themselves the same way that other people saw them. So I guess uh, if, if you saw yourself the way that everybody else sees you, you'd be depressed, I guess. So the, the the depressed people were more more realistic, and it was talking. They they call this your um, your psychological immune system. Uh, it's part of the the mechanism by which if something bad happens to you, you are able to be much more optimistic about the prognosis of what's going to happen than you would be if you were being totally realistic. So it's a it's another interesting survival mechanism. But anyway, I'm going afield here. We do have this capacity to here, – here's another way of saying it. You know, you know Ken Wilber, or you at least know who he is. I, I, I've known Ken for a long time. One of the things he talks about is that we're always immersed in something, a point of view, for instance. When you're immersed in something, you can't see beyond it. You know, think about when you were 15 years old, the way you saw the world and the way you saw yourself and the way you saw your parents and life and everything and the way you see it now. I mean, when you're older, you know so much more. But at that point, you were immersed in something. And believe it or not, everybody that's listening to this is immersed in something now, too. And the more that you do things that make yourself more aware, that increase your ability to self-regulate, that increase your willpower, that increase your ability to observe things that usually people can't observe, your perspective is enhanced, you see more, and you also notice the limitations that you used to have. So, I don't know, I think we've covered that 
thing. I, you know, but I think that's a good point, Dave, that we, we don't want people listening to this to say, oh, well, it's a big deal. Why would I need this? You don't need this. But if you want to really enhance yourself in the best possible way, I have to say, I know I know that this is my product and everything, but this is one of the most amazing tools I have ever seen. I've never seen anything that so strongly affects human beings and uh, regulates all kinds of problems that they had, whether they're mental or emotional or relationship-related or even uh, physical health kinds of things. People that were depressed for years and on medication – don't need the medication after a few months of doing this and on and on and on. I'm not suggesting anybody throw away their medication without their doctor being involved. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've seen this have a huge effect on autistic kids, uh, everything. It's just, it's quite amazing. And I can take responsibility for putting together a program using this and guiding people through it. I didn't discover this. I just uh, stumbled across it when I was about 35 years old, started using it. It blew my mind. It changed me. Uh, you know, I, I think I've told you before, I was really uh, angry, rough around the edges, difficult to get along with, unhappy, depressed a lot, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, after using Holosync for a while, all this stuff that had been a lifelong problem just kind of all drained away and uh, it kind of thrust me into a completely different life. And I don't think that, you know, at, at this point we have sold 150 plus million dollars worth of Holosync and uh, I've become quite wealthy. I give money to charities, tons of money and all that. None of that would have happened without Holosync. I would have just continued to be a miserable, uh, reasonably intelligent a semi-loser if I had not, you know, shaken up my head from do, from doing this. And I've just, I've seen this happen with hundreds of thousands of other people too. It, I would say flat out, if you want to be an A player and you want to max out your capacity, a practice like this, a practice of awareness it is a requirement. And there's many different ones out there. And, and I am a fan of, of Centerpoint for sure. I mean, I have you on the show. But uh, no, no matter, even if you all you can afford is breathing exercises and some meditation every morning, you can do that. And you really owe it to yourself to do that. If if you listen to Bulletproof Radio, you're probably the kind of person who already is doing this or really ought to be doing this. Otherwise, you'd be listening to some other show. Yeah, well, I think one of the qualities that I have that has served me, and I, I know you have the same quality, I bet most of the people listening to this do too, is that you're a doer. You know, when I find out about something, if I read about a, a molecule that if I consume it, it's going to do something beneficial for me, I say, where can I get it? And I start doing it. I don't wait around and say, well, I don't know. When I was learning marketing or learning business stuff, I, I learned something and I put it into practice. I, I've always been, I don't even know, I want to call it being a risk taker because I think there's more of a risk of not doing stuff than doing stuff. Everything I decide to do doesn't turn doesn't always work out. Sometimes I, you know, make some stupid decision about doing something, but not so much anymore. That's one of the great benefits of getting your brain working optimally is that you do way way fewer stupid things. 
Now, speaking of molecules you put in your body, what did you use to increase your performance before the podcast? Like, did, did you take smart drugs? Like, what, what are kind of, tell me your stack. I'm curious. Oh, you're wanting me to tell everybody that I drank some bulletproof coffee. I, I, I'm pretty sure you <laughs> did. But I also, I've seen you take handfuls of pills just like I do. So, I, like, talk about that. But it, if, if you did drink bulletproof coffee, please do admit it. But I, I'm, I'm assuming you took, <laughs> you also took unfair advantage, gabba wave, collagen, pro, no, I'm kidding. But but you you must have taken, like, a normal stack of things like fish oil and whatever else that you do. Just, just kind of the overview of that is what I'm, I'm I going I take through. a lot of things, and I don't know if I can even remember them all, but I certainly, I take, I take quite a bit of fish oil, uh, acetyl-L-carnitine is something I take, phosphorylated serine, uh, I'm taking uh, a bunch of stuff, 5-HTP and stuff to enhance serotonin production, I, I do drink uh, a couple of cups of bulletproof coffee every day, I'm on a high, good fat, low almost minuscule amount of carb diet. I, uh, let's see, I take maca. I'm, I'm trying to imagine taking them, you know, I, I supplement extra vitamin E. I'm taking Life Extension Foundation sort of mega vitamin thing, which you mm -hmm. take nine of a day, yep. and it has literally everything you've ever heard of in it, uh, every possible micronutrient and mineral and on and on and on. Let's see, what else am I... Uh, I, t I take a lot of vitamin A. I think, uh, you know, and by the way, uh, you probably have already told people this, but, you know, you need to to uh, you need to be doing regular blood panels yeah. so that you, know, you just don't throw a lot of stuff at the wall here. I, you know, I take a certain amount of vitamin A in order to keep my vitamin A in a certain range, you know, and uh, and the same thing with with all these things. But I take a lot of stuff, antioxidant. I take a lot of resveratrol. Resveratrol. Gee, it's too bad if you told me I would have I would have brought my list, but it would take up a long time to to read the whole thing because it's I'm pretty. Sort of a, it's pretty similar to mine. I, I know we chatted about yeah, it yeah. Uh, when we yeah, last we met in person. About this. I mean, there's not very many people I can sit down and talk to about all these supplements, and they say, yeah, yeah, I take that, yeah, I take that, yeah, I take that. But, um, you know, I get blood tests to make sure I'm not going out of range on something or overdoing something, and... Uh, well, let's let's switch gears and go back to something you mentioned earlier uh, in the show, and it's it's something that that has been top of mind for me for the past about three years. Is I've really worked it worked on focusing on intuition and creativity, and that is the default mode network, and and this is a core part of the training in in the bulletproof mind upgrade, the new new brain training stuff that I'm working on, and the stuff that's using your technology. And the default mode for me, being one of those guys who wants the ability to pay attention and focus and do what I want to do all day long, and then switch gears and focus on meditation and hurry, meditate faster, uh, is is kind of the perspective I, I've got on things, even though it's funny. That's a, sort of an oxymoron, but it, it is. But <laughs> there is an efficiency metric. You know how much benefit hurry, do you get hurry, per minute? Hurry and meditate. <laughs> so. From from that perspective, I've found for me to, to name a product or to write a book, I need to spend time with my brain awake but not focused. And it, it's not a daydreaming state. It's a, a default mode state. And we've got the research that shows that your brain always has X amount of default mode and Y amount of active mode. And, you know, you, you basically move between them. It's not a binary state. So 
talk more, if you would, about the default mode network and how it relates to flow states, specifically around intuition and creativity. Because I've worked on training my own default mode network so I can remember more of what goes on in there, and that's what I'm working to teach others to do now. But you're one of the guys who actually gets the, the neuroscience behind this. We haven't planned this ahead of time, so I, I don't know what you're going to say. But talk about the default mode network, how it, how it works, what it is, what it does. Well, as you probably know, daydreaming does happen in the default state. Yeah. And uh, there are plenty of scientific discoveries that were that happened when someone was in a default state, as you know, the uh, carbon ring was, you know, I, now I'm trying to think who it was. That, Watson uh, and Crick did DNA, and you're talking about the buckyball formation. Well, no, this no, I'm talking about uh, when they they they. Uh, God, whoever it was that this this was long before that he was okay. staring into a fire and he'd been trying to figure out the the uh, the molecular uh, shape of benzene. Oh, and, and he'd been doing it for a long time. I can't think who, who it was. I mean, it's somebody famous, but yeah. uh, and he was just sort of frustrated that he couldn't figure it out. You know, all creative things. There's a time where you, you don't get it, and it's frustrating, and then suddenly you get it. And so he was just staring into the fire, and suddenly he kind of went into this trance-like state, which is probably a theta state, and he uh, suddenly had this vision of a, of a snake biting its own tail in a, in a circle, and he, and, and he came out of the state and said, that's it. It's a ring. That's why, you know, that's why I couldn't figure it out, blah, blah, blah. And uh, there's probably people who could tell that story a lot better because I'm just sort of pulling it out of long-term memory without a lot of the details coming with it. But, uh, but you know, those kinds of things do happen in a default state. And they don't happen when you're in that highly analytical, super-focused state. Mm -hmm. You know, both have their have their ability. That's why I said that in my talk at the at the uh, uh, biohacking conference because I'm talking to these people and they're all hyper focused, hyper focused. I want to be focused all the time. I got to take more of of these smart drugs, so I'll be focused all the time. And I'm saying, well, okay, but that's a little unbalanced and and uh, it won't work. So so that's one thing. The research on flow states shows that. Um, the the prefrontal cortex is being enhanced during a flow state, and the, the as I said earlier, the the post cingulate cortex is being turned down. It also gets turned down in meditation, and one of the things they you know that they found is that long term meditators uh, not only can enter a flow state easily, but they're in a flow state most of the time. Not all the time, because being in a flow state does consume, you know, neurochemical ingredients that at a certain point need to be, you know, you need to go into that default state so that you can uh, renew that. So this is why, and, and it even includes things like the potassium-sodium balance uh, in the brain, because when you do a power nap sort of a thing, for instance, the reason that you feel like you need one is because that balance is, among other things, is, is you know, it's unbalanced. And then you close your eyes for seven or eight minutes and go into a, a slower brainwave pattern. And when you, when you come back, suddenly you feel invigorated again because, uh, uh, you know, in that state, a lot of different sorts of things happen in your brain and in your, you know, your endocrine system and, and things get get realigned. And of course, that's why you need to sleep, too, and why you've done a lot of stuff to help people 
to have, have their sleep be more productive because some people, you know, can't go through a normal sleep cycle very easily for various reasons. Uh, stress and their diet is probably a big part of it, but it could be other things too. So at any rate, when somebody meditates for a long time, they get, as I said earlier when I was talking about brainwave patterns, you go into these brainwave patterns, these other brainwave patterns, repeatedly your brain turns over more neural real estate to being able to access them. And, and it's not like you say, well, I need to learn something. I'm going to, I think I'll go into an alpha state. It's just like you're sitting there wanting to learn something. You go into an alpha state. It just happens. You know, you need to be more persuasive. And if you're really advanced, you go into a delta state. And, uh, or you need to do something creative and you go into a theta state or whatever, whatever it happens to be. So just in that same way, when you, when you are meditating a lot and you're learning how to go into a default state or out of a default state, when it's necessary to do it, you just naturally do it. And so a lot of this stuff just gets on um, autopilot, you know, when um, these monks that were around the, you know, Mathieu Ricard, who's been called the world's happiest man, one of the monks that they did the, the brain scans on from, the, you know, a Tibetan Buddhist monk. He doesn't say, I think I'll be happy right now. And then he becomes happy. He's he's just, you know, he's doing all this stuff effortlessly because it's been uh, his brain, more real estate has been turned over to being that way. And that's what happens when you do these sorts of things. And, and the default state and uh, and uh, more focused, uh, more aware state are, like you say, it's sort of like a, a, a seesaw. You know, when one is enhanced, the other goes down. And But there's a reason why your brain is built that way. It, 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 it's a nice arrangement. It, so I don't know. Did I cover that? I, I think you, you did. And uh, the... You probably have some other thoughts that I left out though well, we've talked about it quite a bit on our calls and, and when we've been in person but i have found that a lot of times good stuff happens in that that default mode but i'm not paying That's attention good. so it, it goes away it's like you wake up in the morning and if you don't write the dream down or tell someone it, it evaporates so in my own experience the vast majority of my best ideas evaporate because I'm not paying attention when they happen. <laughs> so I've worked on being able to pay more attention and create a memory thread when I'm in a default mode so that I can harvest more of what's already happening in my brain. And I am one of those guys who says, look, I want to have enough energy and attention to focus on what I want to do. So I want a very high amplitude focus. I'm doing this now. I'm going to laser focus. I'm going to lock in. I'm going to do it. And then I want to go into default mode. I'm going to let go. I'm going to drop everything, and I'm going to sink into a meditative, into a default mode state. And I want to do that with high amplitude so I can be all the way on or more off. But if I'm good Absolutely. at being all the way off, then when I'm really in a super altered state, this has been one of my biggest challenges for meditation is that I can go too deep. I'm not asleep. I just don't remember. Like, like I, I know I, like I see colors, and I, I go somewhere, and, and I'm really in a good spot, but I want to bring back – the sort of the gift that comes from being in those states and I, I wasn't always doing it so i've worked for several years on ways to train myself to bring that back and that's the the direction that i'm headed with the bulletproof mind upgrade software to help people understand when you yep. when you do have some downtime mm -hmm. what's the magic that happens and how do you bring it back into the world instead of just like letting it stay on your pillow when you wake up in the morning 
Well, I found that one thing that helps bring it back is a situational need for it. You know, I mean, there's plenty of examples of this in history anyway, where someone uh, has a problem and they sleep on it and then they have an insight. But it's not like they wake up and say, aha, I've got the answer. But, you know, they're maybe later in the day, they're in a conference with some people where they're talking about this problem. And because they had the intention to think about it, the unconscious mind sort of worked on it while they were asleep. And now that it comes up again, you begin to, hey, I've got an idea. But the idea really happened while you were asleep. But I think that, you know, it's, a, it's sort of a truism that anything you measure or keep track of improves. So if you, like you say, keep a, something to write on near where you're sleeping and you write it down, it, it just helps your short-term memory become long-term memory and helps make those connections. I, I think that's a really excellent, excellent thing to do. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with uh, – some people think if they write things down, it means, well, I, I, I must not have the super memory that I, I'm supposed to have when I'm taking Siltep or whatever. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> write things down. So, you know, I mentioned that book, The Organized Mind, in my talk. It's, it's and a great, you were, great book. You were off, off stage and you said, great book, I'm reading that too. Or, <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of the things that I learned from that book, or, or clarified, was that you, you have a limited amount of attention. There's only so much you can hold in awareness. So high-performance people, he mentions in there, and I mean, I already knew this because I was doing it, they either turn over some things that they don't want to have to waste attention on to an assistant or some software or something like that, or they just write them down or, or whatever so that so that they only have to hold in awareness at any one time the thing that's most important to address with awareness. And so there's no, nothing wrong at all with uh, using outside tools to help you do that. This is one of the things I missed early in my career. I, I had my first job in like high-end corporate strategic planning. I, I was responsible for technology strategy for this, this multi-billion-dollar company, and I would do this tech strategy around like what should we do next. And I thought, well, I'm taking these kind of complex ideas, and they're already so simple. Like everyone in this room should understand them. And I would describe to my friends, look, strategy is taking ideas that are already crayon simple and redoing them in finger paints for executives. And, and honestly, I was arrogant and I thought it was because the executives were like dumb or something. And what I didn't understand is that they were all practicing this idea that, look, Dave, you're the expert. You spent three or six months studying this and coming up with all this, but I'm dealing with a hundred other people like you. So I have exactly this much, this tiny little fraction of my attention for what you're going to do. So give it to me in a way I can digest it. And now that I'm a CEO and I have enormous uh, like pressure on my time, there's a lot of people who want to talk and a lot of people I want to help. So I, I, I feel like I, I can do a lot, but if I'm not really, really strict on monitoring that, I can fill my brain with stuff that isn't that helpful. So I've, I've become one of those people who uses an assistant and I don't necessarily know what day of the week it is and I don't always know my own zip code because I don't need to hold that in my mind. It's not important information. Like I, I, it's not unique, it's not my special ability. So I, I just don't need it. And for me, that was actually a, a big, uh, actually a fear thing. Like you don't wanna, you don't wanna be perceived as dumb and you don't want to actually be kind of like a helpless child. But there's times when there's things I know I'm capable of doing them, but I don't do it regularly. And it would take me an hour. And I can ask 
one of the people I count on to support my mission to help me do it. And they'll do it far more efficiently than I would. And that's not because I'm weak. It's because I'm doing something else. Yeah. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I mean, I'm the same way. I, uh, there are plenty of things that would probably be nice if I did learn them. I mean, I confess <laughs> to you that I'm an idiot on technology. Uh, if I need to do something on my phone, I go get you know, babe who worked in the next office over who's 28 and she knows how to do all that stuff and she shows me. And then uh, 20 minutes later, I've forgotten it because I won't have to do it again for two or three weeks. And by then I'll think, oh, I don't remember exactly how she did this. But I'm not willing to go through the learning curve because to, to master that stuff because it just isn't that important to me. I don't care if I know how to post something on Instagram or whatever. You know, I'll find somebody else to do that stuff for me, just like like you were saying. So yeah, it it's a not a sign of weakness, which is what I always thought it was, uh, or a sign of stupidity. It's a sign of of being very very motivated and very focused on on getting the maximum uh, maximum impact, the maximum stuff done, uh, and well, that matters. I've I've always uh, you know I make lists of stuff that I need to accomplish, and then I just. I mean, I know now I've been doing this kind of stuff for a long time. I know that I'm never going to do all that stuff. It's just impossible to do it all. There's always more stuff and more ideas that I have and everything that I can accomplish. So I always do the the highest priority stuff. And I've never regretted the fact that I can't do it all because how how can you improve on doing what's the highest priority and always doing that? Yeah. The unfortunate thing with people that aren't accomplishing very much is that they don't have enough prefrontal cortex activity to realize that that the long-term consequences of doing the low-priority stuff, like playing Angry Birds for an hour when you could be learning something or whatever, you know, it's uh, they're doing lower-priority stuff, and there's certainly sometimes doing nothing and relaxing and you know watching a movie or whatever is the highest priority for me but uh, you know it, it just makes it really easy when you just take all the other stuff as soon as i do something or delegate it to somebody i completely forget about it yes i and so occasionally whoever i delegated it to screws it up or drops the ball or something and then i discover that 2 months later and it kind of ticks me off because i think Hey, look! I can't remember all this stuff uh, for you. You've got to, you've got to do it. it. Doesn't happen that often, but uh, yeah, I, I completely forget about it as soon as it happens. You're not alone. I, I've spent the last two years with, with exceptionally high performance people, people running companies with you know hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, and and to a T, they're all doing the same thing that you and I are talking about. Because that's what people at the very highest level of performance do, because you do hit a limit of working memory. And honestly, it doesn't matter if you can post Instagram, because there's a ton of people who do it for free and would love to have a job doing it. And it's not a good use of your time, even though it seems trivial. When you're at capacity, everything you add is non-trivial because it's taking from something else that's important. And I just gave that as an Instagram as an example, so people would think I know what that is. I think it has something. To do, I think it has something to do with posting pictures of something. But I've I've never been on Instagram, and if I never am on Instagram, it will be okay with me. Quite frankly, I I don't understand all this social media stuff very well uh, because I I just don't 
have enough time to lurk on Facebook and chat with people continuously. I go in there once in a while. And I, I think I think that it. I think Instagram is like Friendster meets Snapchat for millennials, but I'm not entirely sure. By the way, everyone laughing right now is going, yeah, whatever, Dave. But yeah, I don't it, even know what I don't even know what you just said, Dave. I Go can tell you, it. I I use Snapchat, which is something that that people uh, from the generation after me are using all the time. I finally used it two weeks ago, um, which is one of those services. So, I helped to create some of the infrastructure that's that's connecting our conversation right now. And, and I was the first guy to sell something over the internet back in like the early '90s. I sold caffeine T-shirts from my dorm room, and even despite all that stuff, there's a ton of things like that that I don't know either. And it, it's kind of funny because there's a pressure that I feel as a tech guy to stay on top of all that. And the more I do what I do, the less I'm on top of it. And I actually had to hack my own stress response to that. I don't have it anymore. I, I don't feel that I'm falling behind. I'm losing my edge. I finally got rid of that. But that was really hard to do. So I, I feel really comfortable when, when one of the people on my team says, look, I'll, I'll figure that one out for you. I'm like, oh, thank you. Like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to record another really good podcast or I'm going to write the next part of the next book or whatever it is. But I, I feel like I'm just doing more there. So it, it's interesting. I didn't know we talked about this, begin, but it's cool. When you begin to lose your edge, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, wow. we're, we're running up on the end of the show. And I want to know your top three recommendations for people to perform better. Like you're one of the guys who's going to have an amazing answer for this. I already know. So I don't know your answer, but I know that, that, that you've led a pretty interesting life. You've spent so much time both as an entrepreneur and as a, a meditator, as a monk, brain hacker, biohacker. Top three most important lessons from all of that experience. You know, if I had to pick three things, first of all, you should be meditating. And the easy way to do that, and so what we find is that people who use Holosync get the same benefits as people who meditate for decades, but they get it eight times faster. And and I even think there are are a few things. There there are some things that happen when you do Holosync that you would really ha you'd have to be one of those monks in the Himalayas to you know, I mean, just sitting there for a. 30 minutes a day or an hour a day, you're not going to get. So anyway, the first one would be definitely use Holosync. Holosync is really amazing and people love doing it. And once you start doing it, uh, you're high on your own brain chemicals uh, and you, you know, you, you don't even want to consider not doing it. The second thing I think um, is to eat a non-inflammatory diet to, to eat a, a diet high in good fats, you know, uh, protein, lots of vegetables. That's that sort of a thing. Uh, and and certainly the the bulletproof version of that diet is. Uh, I'd be remiss if I told them to go look at some other version of it. But I mean, there's a lot of people talking about this kind of yeah, this kind it's of diet. Becoming mainstream, but, yes. But, uh, you need you want to have. Uh, you know, the medium chain triglyceride uh, oils, you want to be, you know, all that stuff. So that's the second thing is, is you know, get rid of the, you know, the low fat, typical high carb uh, diet, which is uh, like sort of akin to poisoning yourself. Uh, your brain function and your health and everything will improve dramatically just from that one thing. And I think the third thing I would say, I mean, I wish I had something more exotic. I guess Holosync is a little exotic, but the the third thing is exercise. Uh, 
except that um, I'm, you know, I, I've heard you say something about how little you exercise. I, I work out every day for wow. five minutes. For five oh, for minutes. For five minutes. Okay, that would be little exercise. I thought we agreed on that one too. I, you know, I have that ROM machine that I told you about, which mm-hmm. is a four-minute exercise, and I, um, and then I, I do between 100 and 150 push-ups just for fun before I go to bed. And some people would say, don't do it before you go to bed. But uh, I actually get in bed and watch old movies for about an hour, and then I go to sleep, so it's not right before bed. That's my exercising. When I'm sitting there watching boxing on TV or something, I'll do a whole bunch of stretches. So I, I try to get that in, too, but I don't know if that counts as working out. But, you know, if, if you do those three things, you're pretty pretty good. If I was going to add a fourth one, you mentioned breathing exercises you know, I when I'm reading a book or driving in my car or something, I'm doing a reasonably fast, like three, four, five second inhale and then a 30, 40 second exhale. And I just I, that goes on autopilot. I just do that. That enhances the parasympathetic nervous system, turns down the sympathetic nervous system. And uh, that's another very, very great thing to do. If I had to add a fifth one, I would say, you know, sleep and certainly uh, you know there are lots of thing ways to supplement your your diet in order to enhance a lot of things um, you know when you get older certain genes begin to malfunction or shut down or or whatever and uh, there are ways though to replace some of what those genes used to be doing or to take supplements that cause those genes to continue to operate the way that they were they were meant to. And uh, most people that meet me would not guess that I'm a month away from being 65. There's probably people that are that old that look better than I do, but I beat the 25-year-olds up, you know, six flights of stairs and, and, uh, and I'm not... To tell you the truth, I'm not even breathing hard after doing 100 push-ups. It, it's kind of funny, uh, you know, when, when I when I met you in person, uh, you would strike me as someone who is full of uh, vim and vigor, uh, to use uh, an, an older term. But you're you're full of, of energy, and, and you can tell someone who's who's vibrant and someone who's starting to to deal with aging. And you're you're definitely doing something right. We'll just put it that way. Yeah, I refuse to to get old or fat. And I don't see any reason for it. I mean, I feel so grateful that, uh, you know, I used to watch Dirk Pearson and Sandy Shaw, yeah. who were the original creators of Life Extension Foundation, which they then sold to people that made it into a real business. Uh, but they used to be in the Merv Griffin show, like back in the, I don't know when it was, early 70s. I think I was in my early 20s or something. And they were talking about taking all these weird things to extend life and all that. And so I got interested in that and... and uh, just, you know, took all the pre-med sciences in school, so I was kind of geekily reading, uh, you know, coming across scientific journal articles about stuff, and so I just, I feel really grateful that I follow all this stuff. I didn't know where it was going to go, but today, I mean, God, if we check back a year from now, there'll be even more stuff that has been figured out, but... Yeah, I would be just like all those other fat people walking around in the mall if I hadn't learned about this. Uh, I, I see people that are my age all the time, and I think, I wish this slow guy would get out of my way, and he doesn't seem like he's very with it. And then I look at him, and I think, 
I'm probably older than he is. But, you know, they're eating a typical crappy American diet and they aren't supplementing anything. They aren't exercising. They don't have enough prefrontal cortex ability to have the willpower. I don't even like that word, really, because it makes it sound like it's hard. But, uh, you know, they don't have the foresight to exercise and do all these, you know, these things that we're doing as a matter of course. And, of course, you don't have to exercise for a long time because the best research lately is that small amounts of exercise that are, in t- exercise that are intense does much more. And I always didn't like sitting on an exercise bicycle for 45 minutes anyway. Well, good no. reading. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I love your stories. They're, they're so, so accurate. I've, I've experienced some similar things, even the Dirk Pearson, Sandy Shaw stuff. And I, I didn't get into it as early as you, but it, it will pay dividends, but they take a long time. And on, on that note, we're out of time for the show. I, I just want to say thanks again for both speaking at the Bulletproof Biohacking Conference in Pasadena. And thanks for being on the show again. And I'm really excited that we're working on, on the Bulletproof Mind Upgrade uh, so I, I'm appreciative of that. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with Bulletproof listeners. And where can people learn more about you? Well, uh, are you going to post a link so they can go and check yeah. out Holistic below yep. the screen? I, that's the best way because okay. I don't think we've exactly determined as we're recording this uh, uh, where to send them exactly. Okay. But it will be worth worth going to. I promise that. All right. What? So you can you can you know uh, there's a there's about a 20 minute uh, demo kind of sample that you can listen to online and and a ton of information on our website and we'll 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 you know click on the link below the screen and it'll All right. show you everything you need to know. To learn more about Bill Harris's work with Centerpoint and to get a 20 minute demo, go to bulletproofexec.com/centerpoint. Uh, when you go to bulletproofexec.com slash centerpoint, you'll learn all that you like to know about this. And it's actually worth just trying out the, the, the free demo. It's cool stuff. Make sure they know how to spell centerpoint, too, with an E on the end. All right. Let me say that one more time. Centerpoint with an E. <laughs> right. on, on that note, thanks, everyone. Have an awesome day. Bill, as always, it's a great pleasure. Well, thanks for inviting me, Dave. If you haven't had a chance to check out our upgraded aging formula, it's worth a look. It's an amazing molecule you can take that helps you to mimic the effects of caloric restriction. It also has other very positive effects on maintaining healthy blood sugar levels and on other aging risk factors. This was the only supplement I've ever come across that very clearly impacts four different facets of aging That's why I call it Upgraded Aging Formula, and it's available on UpgradedSelf.com. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. 
This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.